another huge week in women's rugby and as ever the WRP is coming at you. We have got Lions chat, we've got all the results around the world, we've got a unique perspective from outside the inner circle as it were from England and British Irish Lions hooker Brian Moore, the commentator and big advocate of the women's game. Crowdfunding for injuries, we've got news of rugby returning. I'm Johnny Hammond. And I'm Rachel Burford. And this is the Women's Rugby Pod. How are you, Burf? How's things? How's the calf? Yeah, no, I'm really good, thank you. Um, feels really good. Rehab's going really well. I almost feel a bit of a fraud. It's going that well. So, um, yeah, no, in a good place. Um, what I wanted to say, Burf, is you've got this injury and the sun, sun's out and what have you. I mean, do you do a, a bit of rehab and then it's sort of pina coladas with your feet up in the garden, soaking up the rays? <laughs> or how does yeah. it work for a, a, yeah. a pro like rugby that. player on, on rehab? Yeah, no, it's just like that, Johnny. Just, you know, do a little bit of rehab. And then I reckon yesterday I did about a thousand calf raises. Like, that's just one part of my day. And then I, when you're injured, it's one of the worst things because you have to do all the training as well. So you still got to do strength conditioning. You still got to do weights. You still got to do, like, skill stuff. You still got to watch video. And then you've got this added session of rehab that you've got to do. So it definitely is not sit back, feet up. Um, I think they make it so horrible so that you want to get out of it as quickly as possible. Yeah, they're not they're not silly. So I'm just you know some people kind of reasonably good with injury. Some people kind of have have to be quite good with injury. I suspect Jack Willis is is in that uh, in that camp. But you're, I get you're not one of those people. You're just so eager to to get back out there. Is there a is there a target date yet, or is that something you can can share? Yeah, no, I think like like any player, as long as you've got a plan, then you can kind of focus on that. I think when you're unknown, what your injury is or how long it's going to take, it's difficult to work towards that. But yeah, no, I'm looking for, to go that round for maybe around 15 or 14. Um, not sure exactly what one that is. 20th, 20th of March is round 15. You are playing away at Bristol. Yeah, no, that's too soon. So probably looking at, because there's going to be a break with the Six Nations maybe, so in and around that time. In and around that time. Magic. But it's just a couple of things I wanted to pick up with you and just have a have a chat. Back to the British and Irish Lions. There's a development. A small one, but nonetheless a development. Yeah, a really significant development. I think... It's so easy to say, we want this, we want to do that, and wouldn't this be great, but have we actually done the detail around it and looked into whether it's viable, sustainable, and how we can action it? And so I think it's a huge step forward for the British Irish and Irish Lions. Like, I've been involved in a couple of conversations with Ben Cavery before about it, and, you know, they are dead keen to have some form of... Uh, women's British and Irish Lions and I think they're going about it the right way if I'm honest I think it's really good what they've done um, and yeah just looking forward to seeing what's next Yeah basically Royal London who are the official pension investment and life insurance partners of uh, the Lions series um, they've also become a principal partner of the Women's Lions programme and will fund a study to examine whether a Lions women's team 
could be formed. I, I agree with you. It, it's a, it's another step forward, but it it feels like you're in that sort of really heavy, thick mud, or even treacle, where you're sort of almost leaving your welly behind. It's that kind of slow on this progress. Reaction on Twitter is very much. Uh, we can give you the study now. Yes, we all want it, but it, it's more than that, isn't it? It's it's whether it's commercially viable. We live in, in that kind of world. Where are the lines going? Do they follow the men's program? In terms of you know, obviously the men go to New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. South Africa aren't there at the moment. Link Campbell is probably going to change all of that. Australia seven's good side, but again, probably not there. New Zealand certainly. You look at North America, but England beat USA and Canada standing on their heads. Could you do a, a, a trip to France? Do a little tour around France, and then I don't think we've even spoken about this before. Yeah, no, I think I think that's the beauty of this is that we, you know, the Lions is rich in history, and it's not about completely changing anything. But it's just we don't have to follow suit, and I think we have to go at the moment where the standard of playing is and whether that is in France because we know what France um, are capable of is probably between France and New Zealand at the moment Um, I mean that's if we're looking at next year you know maybe if we're looking in the next cycle then you know perhaps Lynn Campbell has done enough there to to be competitive Um, or so it's same in Australia they may be in a place where they are more competitive but um, I think at the moment they would be the two only countries to really get um, a competitive game up and running against the British and Irish Lions side. Yeah and I think as you say the Lions is the 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 pinnacle of, of of the men's game in, in the United Kingdom and Ireland, but this is this is you're starting a book uh, forever. You know it's going to be there in the annuals of, of time forever. Got to start it in the right way, and therefore you don't quite get it up and running as as quickly as possible. I, I think that's right. You've got to start it correctly in in the right vein, so that forevermore. Take the women's barbarians got all the right people involved starting the right way every loads of buzz around it now everyone wants to be a barbarian as well did it perfectly you know social media all the rest of it club getting behind it it's got to be the same for for the women's uh british and irish lions or lionesses in my opinion humbly on slightly more sour news berth rugby community is is having to come together again uh, Alicia Butchers, Bristol, and Daisy Hibberts Jones of Sale Sharks are crowdfunding to cover the cost of their surgery after injury. Uh, is worth noting the clubs have given uh, some funds towards it, but of course there's two sides to to every coin. Happy to 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 be corrected or, or for Sale or Bristol to to come on, what have you? But on on paper, on the face of it. That's ridiculous in 2021, isn't it? Well, yeah, I think on the face of it, they've had to put a post on Facebook to ask for money. So that is what it is. They, The clubs have clearly not funded the, the full operation or the full care. And, and you know, this is all, like, for me, the, there's a flaw in what minimum standards are required at clubs. And players should be... and. And if they're not going to pay for it, they should be saying to their players, you know, if you're going to play at our club, you've got to get yourself private medical insurance. Like if, if we're not in a place where the club can fund it, we're not there right now. 
whatever but you've got to have you've got to say to your players you need to have medical insurance because so many things could happen and this is a scenario you could hurt your ankle you need an operation it's going to cost you eight grand we aren't there we aren't able to pay that so there's got to be a look in whether the minimum standard is the clubs will cover all medical insurance or the minimum standard is that any player that signs at a club you've got to make sure that you've got private medical insurance I, mean, I, I don't know the details of the, the, the minimum standards, but I, I would have thought player welfare and, and what have you. And again, it's a bit like we're just talking about the Lions, starting something up. Yeah, it, it's new, fresh league, new, new teams. That's got to be first on the list, hasn't it? I mean, you as a player, and a player been around a, a couple of years, would you prefer to have less of a budget as a club and therefore personally? And the RFU said, well, look, you've got your... What is it? Forty players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all insured to this level, but you're only now going to get this. Is that a better way of doing it? Yeah, I think you've got to put player welfare first. You know, there's no point in having all the nice stuff if you can't even be on the pitch. I I, I couldn't agree more. And it, yeah, that's it, it, it's not looking after players, and we you know, we're, we're not directing or pointing fingers at, at the club specifically, but actually just to the formation and the, and, the, and the funding of it. And but if we can do all the hashtags and all the podcasts and all the rest of it we like, but if you're not looking after your players in your top league, we're pushing water uphill, aren't we? Up a mountain. Yeah, I mean, it, it's worrying. Like we, we don't know all the detail, obviously, but the fact that, you know, and just to add to this, like, Alicia plays for an international side. Yeah, for Wales. So it's, but you know, is this not? Are these the only ones? Probably not. Um, so it's definitely, you know, it, it's created a lot of exposure in in the wrong way. And I would have thought, you know, that maybe the RPA and also the RFU will be, you know, looking into those minimum standard measures. And making sure that you know, play. We talk about it all the time. Player welfare is at the forefront. That's where you start. Anything that compromises that, or anything that isn't aligned with that, then that's where you've got to start. That's got to be at the top of the list. And in this case, it doesn't look like that. I mean, if only the league was sponsored by an insurance company. I'm Sue Day, and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. Well, we like to do things slightly different here on the WRP, week of International Women's Day. Well, I just think it should be every day, but anyway. We're getting a, a, a different perspective today. Often, obviously, most and quite rightly so, most of our guests are, are females. But today, a man who's a big advocate of the women's game, daughter plays rugby. He's a big man in the media, commentator for the BBC. He's got his own podcast. It's former England and British and Irish Lions hooker Brian Moore to give his perspective from outside the inner sanctum, as it were, from a men's perspective, broadcast perspective, former international player perspective. It's Brian Moore. It's a very, very good morning to Brian Moore. Brian, how are you in these, in these strange and unsettling times? Everybody, you're in fit and well. Um, as well as it can be, with uh, five females in the house and me, um, I don't get to watch much of what I want or do anything I want, really. But <laughs> it's as good as it could be. I mean, I really do feel for people who 
have struggled badly mentally and, and, and financially, it, it, you know, it must be awful. Um, bearing all that in mind, you know, I, I, I'm not one of these um, COVID idiots. I understand the reason for people wearing protective gear and so on. It's not really a hassle, is it? Well, I mean, the, the main thing, I mean, in a rugby point of view, I just hope we can come out of it relatively intact internationally and club-wise because that's not necessarily a given with, 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 with everybody. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. We we're just going to touch on. Obviously, you're you're a keen advocate of the of the women's game. You've you mentioned they're living in a house of of five women. I understand. Certainly, one of your daughters plays rugby. Are you? All four of them play. All f- okay. wow. Okay, well there you I are. I stand corrected. So, are you knee deep in cleaning rugby boots Sunday afternoon, doing gum shields, cleaning the uh, kit, yeah, watching? I yeah, yeah. I thought I'd got rid of that. No, look, I, I didn't put any pressure on any of them purposely. I never said a word. I didn't want to feel that they, they them to feel that they, they had to, they asked to. Um, they all enjoyed it. The, my, my eldest one is a loss to the game, actually. She's 5'11", and she's naturally strong. I'm not naturally strong, but she is. When she joined as an 8-year-old, from 8 to 11, in any training session, game or festival, no boy ever took the ball off her. She's just too strong. Wow! She went to malls and just ripped the things. She got, she got, she got told off by a referee who said she was showing feminist aggression when she hurled someone to the floor. Um, it was just a, you know, it was a wrong, wrong, wrong turn of phrase, as well. So if you think about it, wasn't it? Um, no, they, they, they didn't really enjoy it, and um, you know, long may it continue. I, uh, the, the more, the more women girls play, the better the game will be. The better the long-term prospects of the men's game are, the better chance you've got of uh, recruiting people, the better chance you've got of countering these allegations of inherent um, inherent uh, unsafeness and concussion and so on. Um, but it's an, it's, I, I just can't see... Uh, well, there is no downside to it. It's not just because it's the right thing to do, which it is. It's the right thing economically. It's the right thing socially. It's the right thing for rugby. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And that's the kind of message that we've we've been beating the drum since we since we started this podcast. It's not such as a moral thing. Actually, it's as you say the the correct thing to do. I, I know. I mean, I listen to lots of, of other podcasts. I know Matt Dawson has um, uh, expressed his sort of fears and concerns about his children playing rugby. Do you do you have any of those in light of the sort of dementia no. and, and concussion no, stuff? Provi- look, because when you decide whether or not you or anyone else uh, your in charge of or responsible for uh, undertakes an activity uh, unless you're dishonest which some people are what you do is you say right these are the risks and these are the benefits and if those outweigh those you don't do it and if vice versa what a lot of the advocates of um, uh, with, with flawed research might I say um, uh, uh, banning tackling and, and, and you know restricting the game refuse to do is refuse to do that some They'll tell you what the risks are, but they won't say, right, let's put it in context. This is the same as your chances of winning the lottery or getting run over, going to school or whatever. By the way, it is sixth, fourth, third in the list of dangerous sports, 4X. And by the way, when you take into account the antisocial agenda, the health agenda, the teamwork, the discipline, etc., uh, etc., et then all those outweigh the contextual risk 
which I consider. And if they don't, then you don't do it. But you do it if you're going to do it, you do it honestly. And they're not being honest. What's your relationship with the uh, with the women's game, Brian? Outside of um, uh, outside of your, your your daughter's playing the game, we just put it back well, to I mean, just specifically I, the women's my game. My relationship goes back to uh, coaching or helping, well, coaching on a restricted basis. The uh, England forwards in 1991, just before their first World Cup, the one that was backed by the four the four girls, including Sue Dorrington, who is the scariest person I've ever met. Um, <laughs> I, I tell you, not many people intimidate me, but Sue did. So, no, it goes back to 1991. And you know what? I, the only, I just got involved because they asked me, and I thought, well, if people want to, to learn, then fine. I don't care whether they're male or female. And you know what? It's much better, it's much better because women aren't smart asses. They don't think they know everything before you say things to them. You know, you, can't, you don't see the mist going over on you. You know, um, which you do with other with, with male players. And, um, you know, I've seen the game grow. Uh, I've seen it develop market. I've seen the skill levels go. I, the, the, you know, what, lead, what, what women's rugby needs now is this. It needs a coordinator, someone like me, to be able to go around to 50, 60-year-old men who are the people who run rugby clubs and make the case for women's rugby in an economic, in the right way. Because if they're not going to change, if they're not well disposed to women's rugby, they're not going to listen to a woman. I, I have got far more chance as a British lady and an England international and a lawyer and blah, 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 going along to them and, and, and making that case. And then from there, in each area, say, say take London, south southwest London, or it can be a town, you need a person who takes responsibility to go to all the mini rugby sections and say, how many girls have you got? Right. When these girls get to 11, which of you clubs are going to run the 13s, 15s, 18s and women's teams? So they know exactly where to go. So it's near. And so when they're going to go to play against the followers, they don't have to travel they don't have to travel 50 miles to get a fixture and so on. Because um, my 19-year-old uh, my now, she simply stopped playing because... The, 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 the next women's thing was, was uh, girls' thing was too far away, you know. And then, then she went on to be, uh, you know, England under sixteen netball pathway, Great Britain rowing pathway. You know, she was a, a phenomenal talent, and she would have been a good player. Um, but she but lost, and now she's a, an art student and being feckless and fretting about colours. So you know, it, it's all gone. Um, so you know, it, it, so it needs that. And then when you've got that solidified, then the, the, the moment women's rugby and girls' rugby gets onto under 12, 13s, 14, 15s, you know, like the boys, the game will, will surge again. In fact, far more than it did you know, in the original league. But it's, it's incremental. You've got to get things right at the time. But I, I think it, it, it's absolutely paramount that we get those steps nailed and, and in now and then work on the other. And it's not easy because... It's going to require a little bit of money and it's going to require a lot of volunteering. Brian, you, you mentioned there, like, well, look, you're hired. <laughs> From my point of view, that would be incredible. And I think that one of the questions I wanted to ask about for you is, like, what role do men play within this in, in the growth of the game? Well, if they're sensible, they ought to um, be self-interested. Um, just take, for example, my old boys, old crossings. It's a lovely old, old school boy association. It's open. But, you know, it used to run four teams, now it runs two. 
Um, they got the minis stuff wrong. Someone came in, mate of mine who I played with, um, he became chairman. Um, they've now got a thriving mini section, 13s, 15s, 18s and women's team. He said to me, transform the club. Because all the people I know are 50, 60, 70. You know, because that's what happens to us. People have got to understand. Kids are not like, you know, it's very easy to think, everyone thinks like me. They don't. My children don't think like me. I'm having to learn how they think. You know, but no longer do people want to spend it. I was quite happy, and I loved it, spending all day Saturday, all night, playing rugby, getting drunk, singing songs, blah, 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 you know, doing the old old things. People don't necessarily want to do that anymore. That's not the way they, they do things. Economically, you used to be able to have one parent working and be able to have a house. Now, in the southeast of England, you can't do that anymore, an ordinary person. You've got to have two people working to have any chance at all. And therefore, lots of foul households have two parents working. And therefore, it's not easy for the man or the woman to say, right, look, I'm off today, I'm off on Saturday, all day and all night. Because the other one says, hold on a minute, I work full-time as well. Why Why am I not looking after kids all day? You, you do your share. So people, you know, this is just an economic imperative, in the southeast at least, where people can't afford to, even if they don't, even if they wanted to. You just spend all day and all night. So, you know, clubs need to look at these things. And they, and, and, and unfortunately, like I said, a lot of these clubs are, are run by volunteers. This is a difficulty. Who've put their heart and soul in, but they are 50, mm-hmm. 60, 70. Because they've got the time to do it and so on and so on. And they have the attitudes that come with that. Men, if they're sensible and if they're honest and, and having enough humility, ought to understand that the future of their game is in the hands or is or is or should be underpinned by women and girls. Because you are not going to get any more boys playing rugby on a Saturday morning, on a Sunday morning, because you've got football, who is who, 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 the sport which has monstrous amounts of money, has all the superheroes. People know if you have a three-year contract in the Premier League, you're made for life. Why are you, why are you going to play rugby against that? when you get bashed about and so on and so on and so on. So, you know, we're at a point with boys and men where even if you had an extra 10 million, it would make a marginal dent. The girls' and women's game is completely open. Football is still in the march because it is football, but it's still there. And the thing, the thing, the USP about rugby union, about it being a game for all shapes and sizes, that is, having four girls, that is much as much, if not more, applicable to body image, to, you know, to looking at athletic figures, beach bodies and the models, you know, that is even more um, appropriate to girls, I think, um, to have those, you know, the, 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 those things. And um, so it's an all-round thing. And as I say, the only thing that's stopping uh, this is reluctance or prejudice on behalf of some people, lack of resources and probably a, a lack of, of coordination but but I but I genuinely believe the game's future is there, because if you look at the participation numbers, absent of girls and women, they've gone down. Not 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 hugely, but they've gone down, and that shows, you know, where it will go if we don't do something about it. So if we've got a, a slightly blank canvas, we just kind of 
part of, part of your, your, your theme there with, with Wimbledon Derby because it is in its infancy. So the Six Nations that's a, a couple of weeks away, standing alone from the men's tournament, how, how excited are you about that? Okay, slightly changed the format, which hasn't gone down particularly well with most of the players, I think it's fair to say. Well, look, the format, the format should go back. Yeah, of course. It's going to be in restricted times of the yeah. World Cup. Now it's not there. You know, you can even afford to do it properly. Look, I mean, uh, it's a risk because there is a, it is a well-known and um, well-worked and successful model to have women's tournaments under the umbrella of of, of a tournament like Wimbledon. You know, men's tennis, whatever, I'm sorry, but the, the, the facts are undoubtable. Um, you know, it brings in a lot more money, but the women's tennis gets equal ranking because it's the same thing. The Paralympics were the Olympics, same thing. And I, I thought the model had worked well with women's rugby. And it, it's, I just have this concern. I want it to work. I want there to be a commercial aspect for it. I want there to be the crowds there. And what I don't know is the extent to which it benefited from the umbrella bit. And say, for example, it being at Stoop or after the game at Twickenham and how many people stayed on. If you can replicate the crowds at um, Sandy Park and... Doncaster and they're full, absolutely great. We, 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 will, we will see. I mean, I suppose you have to take this leap at some point, and my, my fingers are just crossed that um, that it's the right move. And, and in terms of um, you as a, as a broadcaster, obviously for, for many years, what, why don't you think broadcasters are willing to jump in? I mean, the, the autumn games in England and France went to the BBC and brilliant and, and some really good numbers. But that was, you know, that wasn't yeah, a broadcast it's, it's, deal. It was because nobody like, else had it. It's commercial, and 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 commercial organisations. The terrible phrase, chicken and egg. You know, you need the publicity to make it bigger, to make it commercially viable. They need to be commercially viable to give you the publicity to film it. And only if they see a clear pathway to the investment that they initially put in to it being commercially viable, will they will they sort of seed it down. So you, you've got that. You, uh, the problem is also, therefore, is that if you're on satellite TV, and this is conclusively proof, your, your audience is about anywhere between a half and a tenth of uh, free-to-air channels. It just is. So whilst you get the money, you don't get the exposure, and women's rugby needs the exposure even more so than the money at the moment. It needs that. You know, you, you know, I was talking to Maggie Alfonsi about this. You know, can you be if you don't see it? Well, probably not, actually. So you need you need both. Um, but this is the problem when you're dealing with commercial institutions, because why would they do this? You need the BBC to do that. You need that. But I tell you what, um, people give... I, I, I read an article, you know, criticising Loaded magazine, and I don't read it or whatever, whatever. You know, we don't cover women's sport. And I said, hold on a minute. I've just done a tour of 30 of the women's weekly magazines, which have a joint circulation of 8 million people a week. There was one sports article, which was a horse of the year family discount offer. Now, you know, you can berate Loaded and Warby all the like, but they will say, this is a men's magazine. We cover sport. Look over there. These magazines for women don't cover anything. And it's true. So you can't, you know, eight million readers. You need to convert the female population as well. Because quite a lot of the girls I see in the, on the mornings have been brought down by their dads. 
the reason you need more girls and 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 women and par- then parents and so on to have gone through it so that they can bring them down as well and they can influence and then they can demand of magazines the magazines will say i presume we do lots of research and expensive research take what our consumers want and they don't want this so how do you how do you go around that because that is the biggest women's audience if you can't make dents in converting that it is very difficult to turn around to men and male magazines and, and other outlets to say wait a minute you're being unfair because they can easily say well women aren't interested we know this because women's uh, magazines and things like this don't carry them so the 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 attack or the the, cap, the campaign the strategy needs to be broader than just saying you you and you change your mind uh, as blokes stop being sexist misogynist and whatever although that might be true as well uh, and and say to to you know to women and get and get women you know writing into these magazines pressuring them but the 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 um i mean the thing is one of my mates from school just happens to be one of the sponsorship experts well he's, he's one of the best in the world actually or, or, and certainly in this country and he says there's a massive market to sponsor women's stuff but it's got to be the right product and it's got to get the right exposure so it's a, the the coordination of this um campaigning for magazines to carry that so that the sponsors will get exposure so that it's all involved as i say it's not simple you can't do well you can do one bit then the other but you don't get the results that you will get if it's all there you know you, you need you, it needs to be done in a coordinated way and but that takes money it takes time it takes volunteers um and at this moment <laughs> rugby's struggling to keep itself afloat in any guys in lots of places so I, I just hope the others know. But I, I come back to this point, and I, you know, I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm, you know, because I'm, uh, you know, woke or anything. Uh, although people who use woke like that don't understand what it means. The fact is, it's the right thing to do. It's the future of the game. It's what will underpin the game. What a great way to uh, to finish things off. Conscious of uh, of your time, Brian. You would be a fascinating chat with you, and um, yeah, huge thanks for your your time this morning. Some some really interesting points there, and that's exactly what I wanted to be getting on was a, a slightly different angle of looking at it. Someone who you know, clearly understands the the worth of women's rugby, and as you say, the the right thing to do. So, thank you very very much for for joining us on the WRP this morning. Are you you commentating at the weekend? Uh, I don't think I am. I'm going to watch in frustrated silence as England um, <laughs> try to get to grips with France. We will see. Brian, thank you so much. Enjoy the game the weekend. Thank you so much for your, you. your thoughts this morning. Take care, Rick. Listen, if you ever want anything else, just have don't miss it. No problems. Top man. All right, legend. Thank Take you. Care. Thanks, Brian. See you soon. I'm Shani Williams, and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. News time. Birth and massive news here in the UK for the amateur game. Yep, Johnny, some brilliant news coming out from the RFU as the roadmap has come out. Return to grassroots rugby ready for rugby and some contact training from the 29th of March and they'll be looking at law adapted games from the 26th of April. Definitely something that has put a lot of smiles on a lot of people's faces. Huge, huge news, have to say. 
very, very excited for that. I'm sure people up and down the country will be as well. Let's just keep vigilant in the meantime. Some news coming out of World Rugby. Uh, they're paving the way for future leaders in the game with 12 new women's executive leadership scholars. This is now up to 49 since 2018. Anna Tuiketi from Fiji. Lana Sandokemi from Papua New Guinea. Annabelle Kehoe and Megan Howitt from Canada. Do you remember Megan? She was the Canada manager in 2014. Anyway, Abigail Unikwa from Zimbabwe. Peris Mukoko from Kenya. Dio Yenti Casante from Costa Rica. Natalia Diaz from Argentina. Hannah Shalagova from the Czech Republic. Rebecca Davis whew, from England. Uh, and friend of the pod, Iran's Nahad Barmajadi and Sarah Abdelbaki from Syria. Congratulations to all of you. And that's really important, isn't it? We, we've spoken to lots of guests and you and I have spoken about it's the fastest growing team sport in the world. So many women in, and girls flooding into the sport, but it, it, it's how we funnel that, how we capture that energy, that excitement and that willingness to, to play the game. And steps like this can only be a positive thing. Yeah, I mean, it's really vital. You know, if you want to drive change and implement programs and things like that, then you need leadership right at the top. Um, so this initiative just allows, you know, that acceleration again and, and to have an, an environment where you can share resource, you can reach out to people and you can learn quicker than perhaps you would on your own. We all know that. Um, so, yeah, no, it's a really, really vital um, part of the piece. And so good to see the HSBC 7 Series is back for 2021. This will be kicking off for the women's in Marcusis on the 15th and 16th of May and on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Can't wait for that to get up and running again. I've certainly missed the 7s Series. Yeah, then the men's event in Canada in September, London. That again is the, the men's Singapore as well as in October. Hong Kong, which is a joint event, men and women's, 5th to the 7th of November. Dubai, Emirates Sevens, men and women's again. That's 3rd, 4th of December. And then Cape Town again, another joint venture with the men and women, 10th to the 12th of December down in SA. Over to France. Before we get stuck into the English results from the weekend. Elite One Feminine. First round of those playoff pool stages. Remember, there's some a little bit of controversy with the teams getting in there. Anyway, pool one, Blagnac beat Long, 26-7. In pool two, Stade Bordelais missed out by a single point to AS Bayonet. Stade Toulousien beat ASM Roumanet, 36-27. Next week, Long against Stade René and Montpellier reigning champions against Blagnac. ASM Romagnier against Stade Bordelais and AS Bayonnaise Mayonnaise against the ketchup people. Uh, AS Bayonnaise <laughs> AS Bayonnaise against Stade Toulousien finishes off the round. And it was another intriguing week in the Premier 15s. Massive, massive result. In fact, the seventh in a row for this new side, Exeter Chiefs. Uh, beat Wasps 31-29 at Wasps. Yeah, I can imagine Giselle 
will not be happy considering the half-time score was 7.22, I believe. So for Exeter Chiefs to turn that around and to score in the death is is unbelievable. I mean, that side is definitely, you know, it takes, it's a habit to win and they're certainly, yet they've got that at the moment. And um, yeah, it's been an interesting couple of weeks for Wasps, you know, narrowly losing out to Harlequins, then they beat Saracens, then they just lose out this weekend, having beaten Exeter Chief quite comfortably before. Um, but yeah, it makes it pretty exciting, doesn't it? It certainly does. And 1-0 to JH on the predictions from last week. Oh, we must just mention McKinley Hunt, actually, hat-trick for Exeter. Uh, and Gabby Cantona with a 100% kicking record, um, including that the, the penalty right at the end. Saracens 53, Bears 7. Mate Campbell can't keep away from the try line. Oh, she's got such a low centre of gravity. You try and tackle her and she just slips through. So, yeah, impressive stats again. Another hat-trick for the girl. Harlequins without Totem Pole Burford. 28, Gloucester Hartbury 15. First thing probably to say is we just wish Mo Hunt all the very, very best. Yeah, just dropped a little text yesterday. Still yet to have a scan, but yeah, we just wish her all, all the best. Horrible looking injury. Never like to see any rugby player going off the field on a stretcher. But anyway, uh, a, a good win. Yeah, it was a solid win. I think, you know, Gloucester Hartbury certainly tested Harlequins a lot of the time. You know, they put them under a lot of pressure. But Harlequins found a way and, you know, a couple of brilliant standout tries, which both of them actually made try of the week, so get voting. Um, Jess Breach doing what she does so well. Um, you know, such an elusive balance runner. Again, on the outside, Zippy um, managed to go the full, pretty much the full length. She'll think it's the full length. But um, I have to say, Amy Cocaine's try was unbelievable. She mm-hmm. read the defensive play really well, got an intercept. Then, you know, little um, sprint through for about 10 metres, thought, you know what, I'm going to get tackled here, put boot to ball, little lovely soft rubber towards the try line, manages to, to bully the breakdown. That's what she's good at. Pick the ball up and dot it over. It was unbelievable for, from the hooker. Yeah, sensational. And do you know what? Obviously, I have a look at all the team sheets on a, on a Friday when it's all announced. And from, say, 12 months ago or last season, you know, give or take a bit of COVID, it's a very, very different looking side on paper. Now, you've got some injuries and, and various bits and pieces. But actually, it's, 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 it's a very different looking Harlequin side. There's not, you can't select it on, on a Wednesday knowing what the team is going to be. And quite a few youngsters in there. So I was quite, quite impressed by, uh, by that result. DMP Durham Sharks uh, once again nailed 62. The Loughborough Lightning put on them. The third hat trick of the weekend came from uh, Olivia Jones, as predicted. Yeah, I think, you know, we're. I mean, are we seeing an improvement from Durham, Durham Sharks? I'm not sure. Solution then, or we just got to give it time? I think, uh, yeah, of course, well, we have to, time, yeah. but I think it, it comes back to that recruitment. They need, you know, a couple of, you know, we always talk about the spine of teams. They need some really key decision makers. And you, you look at like the likes of South Shark, and I would talk about their result in a moment, but, you know, having someone like just one player like Katie Dalen-Pin has can change the entire side. They need a couple of players like that just to start getting on the right direction to be able to control and direct the team, especially, you know, 
so many teams now in this league are so difficult to play against. And so to be able to break them down, even in the smallest areas, you're going to need some really experienced key players. And I think that's just where they're slightly lacking. And it's a shame because I think that the option maybe of having some of the Scottish players, but obviously with all the borders closed. So I think there's been plans for that, but that's definitely an area that I would say would need to be looked at. And as you say, that Sharks result, they went down uh, at six ways, 31 points to 21 to the Worcester Warriors. Yeah, early in the season, Sale had uh, beaten Worcester, hadn't they? So, uh, revenge for that result. Sale were leading 21-12 at half-time. So, fair play, good comeback from uh, from Worcester Warriors. Yeah, I think that's been a long time coming, that result, hasn't it? We've seen glimpses of Worcester Warriors playing really well in patches and... I think, you know, obviously things came together for, the, for them at the weekend. But yeah, no, really impressive, you know, second half tries from Taz Bricknell, you know, Medway girl of mine, um, Brooke Bradley. And uh, I don't know if you saw it, but brilliant try from Jade Sheckles on the outside to get through and score over the line. So, it's, yeah, really good result for Worcester Warriors. And um, yeah, I, I'm pleased that they've got the victory that they probably, you know, this would have been a target game for them. Indeed, it would have been. So that all means Saracen's still leading the way, having played 13 or 57 points. Harlequins, with their 14 games, 56 points. Loughborough Lightning, again, 14, played 53 points. Then it's really tight. Was in fourth, uh, having played 13, 46 points. Exeter, 14 Games under their belt, 44 points. Then Gloucester Harbury, 30. Bristol Bears, 22. Worcester, 21. Sale, 10. And DMP yet to trouble that table. Just two games at the weekend. Gloucester Harbury against DMP Durham Sharks on Saturday. And Saracens against Sale Sharks on Sunday. I'm Jill Burns and you're listening to the wonderful Women's Rugby Pod. Just to finish up then, Berth, some shout-outs. Sarah Cox, really is a trailblazing woman, isn't she, uh, in the middle of the park. Lady in possession of the P. Uh, she was about uh, massive upset in the championship, well, in English club rugby, really, as the Cornish Pirates beat Saracens. Claire Daniels, the world's most capped test referee, was the assistant referee for that fixture as well. And an impressive Yeovil Women's Rugby Club have been raising money by doing 5,000 burpees in one day. That literally makes me feel sick before that. That's amazing. Yep. What's a burpee? Uh, Craig Robinson <laughs> of Warsaw uh, gave him a shout out last week. And we, we said it, well, we couldn't quite believe that they were doing uh, 10 million steps, uh, aiming to raise £3,000 by walking, running those steps during the month of March. They're already halfway. Uh, he's been in touch. You can find that fundraiser on Just Giving by searching Move in March for Warsaw Rugby Club. Just leaves for us to say, if you haven't already, do drop us a little rating. Five stars or above. Subscribe. Share the pod. We've got some exciting plans coming up with the Six Nations. Possibilities of live pod as well. And also, we must just mention, we've pulled together a brilliant new team. More content, going to be more over social media. YouTube channel has launched as well. We're going to be coming at you visually as well as audio as from next week. 
So yeah, some really exciting things happening for the WRP. Thank you to those people who have jumped on board with us. Thank you to you, Berth. Thank you to Brian Moore. Interesting to, to get his perspective. He's a forthright chap. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's quite healthy to have someone who's not in the middle of the trees, but actually looking in. Yeah, no, it's really good to have him on, you know, have a different perspective. Like you said, he's a big advocate of the women's game. So it's great to get his input um, this week on the pod. Next week, another big name for the women's rugby world coming at you. In the meantime, enjoy the sunshine. Enjoy school. Enjoy the kids being back at school. And continue your recovery well, Berth. Cheers, Johnny. Until next time. <laughs>